0: Welcome to episode 537 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a wonderful conversation with filmmakers Heather Spohr and Brian Vincent, Heather is the producer and Brian is the director of the documentary film Make Me Famous. We discuss how Brian and Heather met being on Broadway, studying at Juilliard, being a Gen Xer, artists being able to live without much money, shanty towns on the Hudson, Avenues A, B, and C. Basquiat, McDermott, McGough, Edward Brzezinski, Madonna, the bohemian lifestyle, the punk scene, indie films, the Roxy, the new plaza, the godfather of street art, Richard Hamilton, the danceteria, what is selling out, that special sauce, and next projects, among other things. A truly grand conversation with Heather Spohr and Brian Vincent this go round. We have an EW poem titled East Village Cameo. And of course, all of this will be infused and imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 537 of Troubadours and rock Tours.
1: mirror, reflect what you are, in case you don't know, I be the wind, the rain and the sunset, the light on your door, to show that you're home, when you think the night has seen your mind, that inside you're twisted and unkind, let me stand to show that you are blind, please put down your head. I see you I find it hard To believe you don't know your darkness so you won't be afraid when you think the night has in your mind that inside you twisted and unkind let me stand to show that you are blind please put down your hands because i see you
0: and Brian, is that you?
2: It's us. Yes. Hi, Lawrence.
0: Hi, thank you so much for being on Troubadours on Rock On Tours. It's a pleasure.
2: Oh, thank you for having the pleasure us.
0: pleasure is ours. Well, before we get started, let me share a little background information with the listeners. Heather Spohr and Brian Vincent are filmmakers, Heather is the producer, and Brian is the director of the documentary film now playing in theaters titled Make Me Famous. It focuses on the art and cultural scene of the East Village of Manhattan in the 1980s. And we're going to talk to Heather and Brian about who they are, about their experience with the film, what the film is about, and see where that takes us. So again, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Uh, Where are we talking with you guys from? We are in Manhattan. Excellent. Is that uh,
3: basically your home base? Oh, yes. Yes. We, uh, we love Manhattan. Both Heather and I have lived here uh, since we were oh, 19, 20 years old. Um, we're both um, from other parts of the world, though. I'm from Kansas City, and uh, Heather is uh, from. I'm from Texas. Yeah, from Texas. And so we're both actors, actually. We um, we we both moved here to become actors. I studied at Juilliard, um, and Heather, uh, she's been in many different uh, productions, uh, including Wicked on Broadway. Oh, wow. Impressive.
0: Impressive. And you two, I believe, are married.
2: We are married. We actually met in New York. Uh, we met on 49th street where we lived one building apart and uh we have a very funny story how we met
3: oh please share it okay so the well this is hell's kitchen so you have to keep in mind that it it, it, it's always uh it's always looked a little you know um like hell's Hell's kitchen does (laughs) Uh, but one day i i saw um on the street, this beautiful woman um, planting um, flowers in a tree well in uh, <laughs> the le- place you'd least expect to see it, and um, so that's when I developed an interest in horticulture, <laughs> and uh, and and the rest is history. But she beautified the block um, pretty much by herself. Oh, no. that's sweet. And what what year are we talking about? About 1997.
2: No, Maybe. it was like 2000?
3: 2001. Okay, yeah, 2001. I'm
0: bad with dates too. My my wife is always like, "What? Are you what? You don't remember that?" Um so 2001 you you uh you crossed paths for the first time. and have been together ever since. That's quite a number of years.
3: Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Well, if you're going to date your neighbor, you better hope it works out. Um so <laughs> and and lucky for us it did. Um but Heather actually, um, she sings beautifully. But I, I sing like uh, Edith Bunker, um, so I don't, I don't have a lot of skills with that. So that's why I started to develop other skills. And when you were at Juilliard, you studied film there. Actually, no, I, I studied acting there, and also um, I, w- I worked with playwriting. And so I've I've always been interested, most interested, in trying to create projects uh, from scratch, and this is actually Make Me Famous is sort of an outshoot uh, of of that desire uh, to do that. Um, but at Juilliard, they focused us, um, no matter what you were studying, on the importance of of storytelling and. Um, and the fundamentals of structure. And so I used uh, all of the, the things that, that I learned there um, to create these these offshoot projects. And Heather, did uh, you study
0: musical theater?
2: I did. I was, I went to Texas Wesleyan University and studied, it was a very small liberal arts school. And uh, so I, I had, a great education. And also because there were so few students in my class, we had the ability to try all the different things, um, backstage work and also, um, acting. And, and then I moved to New York pretty much right out of school, one year out of school. And I never looked back. I just, it felt like home.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So you guys, I would say are generation Xers. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think that that'd be an accurate assessment.
0: Yeah, me too, me too, and uh, I think it's interesting, especially given what we're talking about in this film, to know what generation uh, you're in. From if you know, it kind of maybe flavors your perspective and your interest in the in the '80s scene. Uh, I know myself in the '80s; I was kind of in high school and college. Mm-hmm. Um, I I started high school in the '80s and finished college in the '80s. And I remember that scene, but from afar, I witnessed it. You you uh, folks were still also, I, I, I suppose
3: you weren't there during the 80s. Correct, yes. Um, I was also in uh, high school in Kansas City um, and then um, came to Juilliard in 1990. And I don't think, Heather, you'd made it to New York uh, by 1990 yet. 1995, I think. Yes, but what was um, so attractive to me about uh, the 1980s, um, the art scene there? Um, we, Heather and I, you know, w- when when we're auditioning for all of these things that that we audition for, um, there's just so it takes so much money to make every project, and in the 1980s, these artists they just um, got together because there really was. No money, and it was a lot cheaper to just rent um, something in New York, like uh, a, a uh, first floor, um, you know, apartment uh, that has a gla- you know glass partition or something, and just put on a show. Um, and in the case of like Club Fifty Seven, they they put it on at a wedding hall. I think it was a Polish wedding hall, and there everyone would perform together, there would be painters um, you know, putting stuff up on the wall and there'd be people doing bands and, and actors doing pieces. Um, and so I just thought that that was really exciting and it reminded me of being at Juilliard actually um, and everybody um, just making stuff and being creative all together. And so I started reading books about this time period including this one book uh, Cynthia Carr wrote uh, called Fire in the Belly, which is about an, uh, David Warnerovich, an incredible artist from the 80s, uh, who ended up passing away, unfortunately, by uh, from AIDS. But before he did, um, he, he really set the world on fire. As many of these uh, artists did during this time period, and so as I got more obsessed about uh reading about all of this, I thought, well wow, we really should make I wonder if, if we could make a project about this. And and I wonder what kind of insight we might be able to get having never lived there, but only being inspired by it. I love it. I love it. Heather, do you have anything to add? Well,
2: you know, I mean I just, you know, was really enamored with how diy it was all you know they they just had an idea and they were able to do that because they were all communing together you know uh in the 80s it was so cheap to live down there and you know i don't know that there's any anything like that now but in in new york you could live there amongst you know everyone together basically you know kind of like brian and i dating when we felt like we were dating in camp like on 49th street but like being able to be see people and bounce things off of each other and oh let's you know collaborate on this project or whatnot so that to me is very exciting it was nothing i ever experienced in texas and 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 it just is just that creative you know spark that was just everywhere is so exciting
0: So it was still kind of there in the 90s. It kind of flowed into the 90s for a bit, but by now it's all
3: gentrified. Oh yeah, we. I saw. I remember in 1990, I I wanted to get out and take a look at New York as much as I could, and I remember the shanty towns all along the water on the Hudson. Um, people living um, in tents, and uh, 42nd Street was unrecognizable to what it is now. You could disappear in there and never be seen again. Um, and uh, if you went to the Lower East Side. You would see blown-out buildings, and uh, Avenue uh, A, B, C, and D is also a place you may never come back from. So all of that was still going on in the '90s, uh, but then as time went on and the city got uh, more wealthy, um, then this this dynamic really changed. Um, it's so many of the projects that I've tried to get off the ground before. Um, they, they, when you go to try to rent a theater or um, explain to people who are going to be investing in it, well, you're probably never going to get your money back, um, you know, that it, it gets harder and harder uh, to, to do this stuff. Um, so that's why this time period just became so, uh, it just became like an obsession to, uh, to know more about it. And to see how 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 it is that um so many of these great artists by the way came out of this time period um you know of course everybody knows basquiat and um and they may not know that madonna also was one of these people that was performing for you know she was performing for, for 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 each they were performing for each other and uh she got famous you know and and keith herring and um, uh, I think you've spoken with um, David McDermott before.
0: Yeah.
3: He was is super famous in the 80s.
0: David and Peter I've talked with on a, a few occasions. I love them. They're so fascinating.
3: Endlessly fascinating.
2: Everyone in this film is fascinating. It's like I always reckon it to, you know, you're stuck at a dinner party. Who would you want to be stuck next <laughs> to two hours? Every single person in our film is that person. They're punk. They're cool. They have stories. They have lives, richness. You know, this was a group of artists who got together. They had no cell phones and no internet. So it's right. hard to, for some of your listeners maybe to, you know, think about that time. But what that did is you had to convene. You called each other. Everybody kind of there was no social media. They would call. Everybody would tell. Everybody knew where to go. They would all convene. They would have parties and they would have art openings and poetry readings and they would just have experiences.
0: Yeah, they were real. They, you know, it wasn't phony. They were struggling in many ways, but they were alive more than many of us have ever experienced in many, many ways. I think, based on what I've read, you know I've, and ta- I'm talking with Peter, talking with David, reading Peter's memoir, I've seen the future, and I'm not nice. going. Uh, nice. Such great insight to that time period, and uh, again, it seems so real to me, and as David says in your film, um, you know in these no one wanted to live in these villages, as you mentioned a couple moments ago, Brian, it was so run down,
3: you know they it was theirs. Exactly. Um you know th- there was no one that wanted to live there maybe except for drug dealers and things like that. And um you could get mugged and there'd be no camera to uh, to to say who did it. Um so yeah, this was the lower east side that these artists uh, basically took over. And um and like you know, you'll see in in the movie Um, you know, this where Edward Brzezinski, the subject of our of our movie, the painter was living in his apartment. um, You might hear uh, opera music coming out of it. But if you, um, you know, looked at the whole building, you'd see that uh, most of most of the apartments were all sort of blown out, you know, and so they were really risking living there. But they were also gaining um, this freedom of having no rent. And that helped, I think, develop these eccentric personalities that they had uh, because they got to live out these bohemian fantasies. Right. I
2: I think it's important also to note because I run our social media for the film, Make Me Famous Movie, on Instagram. And every once in a while I do get somebody that says you know there was a whole community of people that were here before the artists so it is it is important to just note that they didn't completely take over Mm -hmm. but they made a scene in that area and um, you know I know a lot of Lower East Siders would want me to clarify that you know there was a whole group of people living there and you know going about their days but this Creative energy just kind of exploded with the artists.
3: Well, that's true, and and it, it, the Lower East Side has had a long history, actually, of of being an arts-centered area. Um, and there were certainly people living there, and um, it wasn't uh, all drug drug dealers and things like that. But it, it was very t- a very tough uh, area, and it and the reason they gravitated to it was because they they could get this cheap rent.
0: Right, I mean, and Heather, you mentioned the punk scene. The punk scene was right there as well, and they overlapped. Uh, I remember talking to David. He liked the, he didn't like punk music that much, I don't think, but he enjoyed the people because they were open and they were, you know, they were kind of like on the fringe. What yeah. a mix! What a mix! You know, when you think about the artist you know, you focus on in your film, and then the the punk uh, scene too.
2: And, and it was a safe place to be. You could be queer. You could be weird. You could be, um, you know, have issues, you know, but nobody judged you. Right. It was so interesting about that time. Nobody was judging you. Yeah, they'd maybe talk about you, but they weren't really judging you. They were all in it together. And there was this, like, kind of camaraderie that they had together together even with the drug dealers, you know, they were in it together. This was, uh, they, they owned it.
0: Yeah. And, and so I, I'm going to a question that I, I share with you guys, uh, via email talking about all this, obviously you're intrigued by it. You're compelled by it and y- y- the, the scene and, uh, you respect it. So did you feel you needed to capture it in some way its essence via a, a documentary?
3: Well, yes, yes, and as I as I was reading um, more and more about it, um, and Heather and I were would, would discuss it and share share different books to read and all this, um, we were just thinking, well, how how could we possibly um, do something like this? And and I thought, well, um, I thought maybe we should make a play out of it. Um, but what ended up happening was that since we focused uh, the story on this um, painter that no one had heard of, but that we both thought, well, wow, his work is really good. I wonder why he didn't get famous. Um, we sort of, through the research, stumbled on um, this incredible archival film of all this video uh, that Edward Brzezinski and Jim C., uh, who was his roommate at the time, had made of of the 1980s art scene of the openings that they had done in his fifth floor walk-up apartment where, for instance, Miguel Pinero would perform his poetry or David McDermott might come in and read from a book or um, they would have um, music and, uh, and, and Edward would uh, show his paintings and always with someone else, David Warnerovich might stop by. So once we, realized that there was a hundred hours of this incredible archival that had turned up. That's when we knew we had a movie. And it also helped us um, to to be able to say, well, this is how we'll take the viewers in. And this is how they're going to experience it. And we'll just try to get out of the way of, of our opinions about it. And we're going to bring in the people that knew Edward, uh, people that worked with him. Uh, like Anina um, say the gallerist, who discovered uh, Basquiat, and um, and, m- and many of his painter acquaintances, um, like Duncan Hannah and um, David McDermott, and and, and that's how uh, that's how the film I think has been received as as such an authentic experience.
0: Yeah, it's been getting great reviews. Uh, you know, my my compliments to you. Congratulations, Thank and you. Uh, I know um, there are people who and you're doing this in a way. To me, it seems uh, that it's grassroots. You're you're the way you're trying to distribute and the way you're trying to get it to to, to people. Is that true?
2: One hundred percent. The thing is with it, films is that it really it even these indie films that come out they they aren't indie like you think like a couple couple of people putting together a film there are teams of people and executive producers and uh gatekeepers that open the door and set you up in different ways and grant making and you know this for us it really it's, it's almost like it was a blessing that we didn't get a distributor that we were really happy with pairing up with for distribution. And we just thought, well, these people did it. They made a whole ecosystem of galleries out of nothing, out of storefronts, out of, you know, cheap uh, rent. And well, hey, we can make a documentary. How hard could it be? Well, yeah. we are shooting in 2015, so it does take a little bit of time to make a documentary, um, but this getting it out there has been kind of instrumental in word of mouth. The word of mouth in the film, from the film, has been tremendous. The last screening that we did, I asked people almost everybody that left how how did you find out about this film and now my friend told me oh I was I read about it but a lot of people were talking about it had seen it and they really recommended it
0: well that's that's the best right and I'm, I'm wondering you know when um when you started going out to the folks that you wanted to interview about that time period in their lives uh what was it like? Did, it, did you find all of a sudden when you start talking with these folks about a period that happened decades ago, they came alive? Did you see something special in their eye and their voice?
3: Oh yes, and especially they were relieved that we were asking about someone other than Keith Herring and um, Basquiat. <laughs> because they' they're all they've all been inundated with questions about the famous people. Uh, but they hadn't thought about Edward many of them in many years. And I think you could see that in the documentary about how uh, close we've gotten we ended up getting with each of the artists and um, so that when we we um, when they interview on camera it's very candid and very intimate um, but they the thing is about this community is there's they're still out there making art and and that's one great just amazing great thing about them that's just continually inspiring to us and like um frank holiday he's out there in brooklyn um uh you know um it, some of the artists have passed away though uh duncan hannah passed away uh um Richard Hambleton, the Godfather of street art, he passed away. Uh, but when Marcus we Leatherdale. Marcus Leatherdale, just one of the most incredible photographers, and he passed away since then. So all of these people, they were each like a world unto themselves uh, for for how we got to know them. Um, but they they were they were very um, excited uh, that we were trying to tell a story about the Lower East Side. Um, that that would be coming from an unusual perspective um, and we had incredible experiences along the way as well like Richard Hamilton, we ended up assisting him and um, helping he, he asked us to uh, stretch canvas for him and mix paint and then he'd tell us all about the 1980s so we just had the most incredible time researching this movie yeah, I can tell and right
0: now as we speak it's uh, it's it's on at the Roxy, right in uh, New York.
2: We are playing at the Roxy Cinema, which is in the Roxy Hotel in Tribeca, and also at New Plaza Cinema, which is on the Upper West Side. And we're doing kind of a non-traditional booking, where we have like a not a regular schedule. We get a, a screening uh, at least every week, um, and. If we do well on that screening, we get another screening. So we, there's no guarantee how long the film will go, but we've been playing in, in New York going on nine weeks now.
0: That's excellent. And uh, af- after that, I suppose you'll try to take it other places. I'm wondering, what have, have you? Sat, I'm sure you have sat in the theater and garnered the response of, of uh, those viewing the film, and what's it been like?
3: It's uh, incredible uh, as the lights go down and then the movie starts and you're looking around. And some people, like, for instance, when they go to the Roxy, um, two avenue of America's downtown, uh, a lot of them dress up when they come see it. And the um, they've heard about the film, so they, the excitement level I, and the laughter and the uh, the way that they feel it, it's just so moving. And then uptown, um, which is it, New Plaza, which is 35 west 67th Street, uh, it's an offshoot of the old Lincoln Center Plaza. Um, so we get a different crowd there um, that have read about the film, they've seen the good reviews and they love uh, movie making and cinema in general. Um, so so we get, they, they're sort of new to the scene there. Uh, so we get to experience both sides of that, but we would love to play in Brooklyn as well, where there's just so many artists. yeah, it's, definitely.
2: It's funny because last night, especially uh, when the first scene comes on, the first opening image is, you know, old, burned out New York. And every once in a while, especially last night, gasps, oh. Like you know, so sometimes it's like they're either remembering, wow, that's how different New York was, or they're seeing it for the first time and they're like, what, right? And so it's so interesting to see the response of the people, you know, because you really are immersed in that scene. We tell the tell the story of the Lower East Side art scene through the lens of Edward Brzezinski, and it's it's told with the art of the of the era so the photo photographs and the art and this never before seen you know archival and so it really does create a sense of being immersed back in the day and so if you if you want if you're curious about what new york was like then you should come see our movie. If you want to remember for a moment that nostalgia of what New York was like, then you should come see our movie.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And Edward Brzezinski himself, we were talking about uh, the folks that have passed from that time period. It's kind of uh, not clear whether he indeed has passed. Is that true?
3: Yes. yes. Well, while we were researching about Edward, um we there's an obituary written um, back in 2007 uh, by Walter Robinson, who's a famous painter as well as a um, art critic, and so uh, we had just made a lot of assumptions about uh, about Ed- Edward and and his death and whatnot. But then when I uh, looked up on the master death file, uh, Edward wasn't on it. And Edward Brzezinski uh, was, was quite a radical um, person, and he was known as a rascal. Uh, for, for instance, he was famous for eating from Robert Gober's bag of donuts mm-hmm. uh, back in 1989. Uh, whether he was drunk or if it was a statement about um, conceptual art is something you'll just have to find out in the film. Uh, but Edward was known to to do really outlandish things, and that's when we realized um, that we needed to try to track Edward down, and that took many years, and then we were all over the globe uh, looking for him in Berlin and um, the Côte d'Azur, and uh, again, that's something that the viewers will have to uh, and get to experience when they see the movie. That's fascinating. Uh, did... Did you reach out to to
0: some of the I guess bigger successes that are still alive, like and have some money, I suppose, like Julian Schnabel, uh, Madonna, to to try to get them involved?
3: Yes, yes, I did, um, and we would get uh, varying responses. Uh, there, there's a little something of about Schnabel um, in the movie and how he reacted to um, Br- Brzezinski, but through a surrogate and. Um, and Now, Madonna, we heard uh, a story about Edward and how he had, um, I, after she was performing at the Danceteria, I think he advised her that he should be using him uh, to do the uh, backdrops instead of whoever uh, she was using at the time. So Edward, <laughs> Edward didn't always make a great impression on everybody. Um, but that's part of the fun of the movie. I mean the movie is not intended as a promotion, a promo uh, for the artist. And I think a lot of documentaries, if you really strip them down, they, they, uh, documentaries about artists are often really just promos uh, for, for meant from an estate or something like that or somebody was really uh, wanting to show that they were the greatest artists that ever lived. And in Edward's case, it's he's a, a great – um uh character to live and experience this scene and so um we we did get um some of the bigger people uh, uh from that era um like Anina no no say who was the gallerist who um, discovered Basquiat uh, but again it was always a difficult journey uh, like with Anina I would uh, I, I asked her about Edward, and she said, "Yes, I have a terrific story about him." Uh, but first, I'd like to know what you know. And I, <laughs> what do I know? And she said, "Well, w- what books have you read? What's your thesis in this movie?" And so I told her, and she said, "Well, I think you need." To, and she assigned me three books to read before the next great. time we talked.
0: <laughs> great, great. Uh, and you know that that leads me to another question. I wanted to ask you, folks. Through all of this, what have you learned about where you live, about that time period, you know, New York uh, in general, Manhattan, the 1980s, and then, if you want, about art in general, and the art scene, the soul of artists, the struggle, the challenge, the importance? It,
3: you know, when, when this all started, and, and it's good that we just spoke about it, Nina, um, my thesis, really, uh, that Heather and I did, discussed, was what happened to the painters. You know, this was back in 2012, 13, 14, and every gallery in New York was uh, interested in conceptual artists at that time, and so you had Robert Gober and 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 his artwork that was, you know, $5 million for a sink, or, you know, um, you have Koons and his, um, his type of artwork, and it was, it it was in every gallery, everything had to sort of be explained. And so I I love the painters and, and um, Heather does too. And so we, we were wondering, well, how can we get the painters more attention? And Anina said, "Well, that's uh, that's a, that thesis is a little weak uh, because uh, conceptualism is behind every piece of artwork." Um, Richard Hamilton, the godfather of street art, one of the finest painters that ever lived, in my opinion, um, he also thought the same thing, and he sort of recoiled in horror at that thought because he said. You know, there's nothing uh, more important that I do when I make art uh, than what it. Then, what's the idea behind it? And New York City has always been a third rail to any artist that get, is lucky enough to be able to live here. Uh, they 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 attach their um, talent to the rail, and then they get supercharged. And it's like some of them get famous from that. And others don't, and it really largely depends on the era uh, that they land in. Um, For instance, in the 80s, New York City was broke. And um, so there was benefits to that for the artists because there was cheap rent. Um, But now here in in our time period, it's not broke at all. And the art market sort of figured out um, in the late 90s how to market art and turn it into uh, boatloads of money. And so people measure success um, rather than with money, rather than with uh, how creative your idea was. Uh, So I've always been in love with New York City, um, and I've always wanted to give back to New York uh, all the love that it feels feel like it's given me. And so this project uh, really is is something um, to to remind people, and to also for for them to, to for me to transfer um, how Heather and I feel about New York into a movie, and um and and so that they can live in a different era and experience what it was like then and back bef- when creativity was considered the ultimate uh, thing. Like wow, you know, if you're the most creative, you're going to get to the top. And so th- that's that's how. Um, New York feels for us and in general art uh, is the thing that Heather and I had brought us to this city um, the importance of art is something that we we wake up to and go to sleep to uh, because it's it's what else is there you know to us it's it's not about eating and and um, sure friendship and, and love all of that is is ultimately important to every human. But for us, art is um, something that we commit our lives to.
0: Well said, Brian. Well said. Would you like to add anything, Heather?
2: Yeah. You know, these people, I I had my own sense of Manhattan when I moved here as a young actress, trying to make it. I did feel the struggle, but this is a whole different level, right? Um, This was struggling to feed yourself, you know, and struggling to make a difference in the world. And and I remember when we first started this project, Brian did audio tapes of Marcus Leatherdale and uh, Claudia Summers and James Romberger and Marguerite Van Cook and all the people, Robert Hawkins, uh, Scott Covert especially, they are such incredible storytellers. And from them telling stories about Edward and about a little bit about themselves. I saw New York city in a whole different light and there's something very inspiring about what these punk angsty kids did in the East village together. And, and I just hope that people will come to see the film and get inspired again. And, you know, there's so much, going on it, it it really is a lot about money right now and this was a more you know by design it was just a time when y- you you just had to be really creative and i just loved that i mean i've watched this film hundreds of times i like to sit in there with in the roxy and listen to people laugh there's a lot of humor in the film there's a lot of sadness there's a lot of um, emotions and i could hear i still laugh when Claudia makes a joke, and uh, when Duncan makes a joke, and David McDermott, these people are so funny mm-hmm. and interesting, and I just I'm delighted to hear them speak. They're inspiring.
0: I hear you. I hear you. I, and I I agree with you. Uh, you guys are too, Heather Spore and Brian Vincent.
3: Uh, thank you.
0: <laughs> producer and director, among other things, but producer and director of the film. Make Me Famous, now playing in Manhattan, and I'm sure it's going to be circulating uh, the scene radiating outside of New York City. Uh, What Do you have a distinct plan? I know you mentioned Brooklyn after Manhattan. Um, Do you want to go even further with it? Festivals, perhaps, or independent uh, film uh, theaters, if they still exist?
2: Well... We did our festival circuit, the kind of the trajectory of the film is the first thing you hit is the festivals. And we were so thrilled that the New Fest LGBTQ Film Festival in New York kind of catapulted us onto the scene um, in October of 2021. And then we did several film festivals and then you know we were very lucky to start our run in Toronto at the Hot Docs Cinema, and then they found out uh, the some of the theaters in London found out about it. We played the ICA London, and we played uh, the Bertha Dock House, which you know we we were held over for three weeks there. They were so uh, thrilled about having the film there, lots of popularity, and and we plan on you know, kind of just hitting up other theaters. I've been pitching other theaters. If any theater owners in Brooklyn wants to have us, we'd love to play there. But um, we are gonna be playing in San Francisco, at the Roxy, and we're also gonna be playing in Reading, Pennsylvania, at Goggle Works, um, which is where Keith Haring was born, and also in Philadelphia at the Lightbox Cinema, and you know, so many more, in Detroit, uh, we've have we have lots of things brewing, and we really hope to bring this to as many cities as possible.
0: Excellent. And do you have uh, new projects on the horizon that you're looking at, uh, looking ahead to?
3: Yes, we do. Uh, this time we're focusing on an actor. Uh, we're going to get out of the art world for the next one, uh, and it's it's a very uh, famous actor. And I had written the estate of the actor, and I said. I've always dreamed of making a documentary about this person. And uh, they wrote me back and said, well, there's been several already, uh, but we saw your trailer. We we really liked it. And what would you do that would be different? And so I I described my diabolical plan to them. (laughs) And uh, and they said, wow, that's fantastic. It's never been done. And there's a few people that have stepped forward that would – be very interested in whatever I'd like we'd like to do next, and so that uh, that's what we're planning on on doing. And I can't say who it is yet, though, because if it falls apart, it, it would just be too heartbreaking uh, to explain later.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I get that. And uh, if folks want to connect and, and keep track of what you you guys are doing, how could they do that?
2: Well, we are on social media at Make Me Famous Movie. For Facebook and Instagram and Famous Art Doc at Twitter, and uh, we have a website. It's uh, Make Me Famous Movie, and you know we always update that. So if you want to know if there's something coming around in your neck of the woods, just log onto the website or hit us up on social media. And I'm I run all the social media sites. So if you're chatting with somebody, feel free to DM me, and uh, I'd love to connect with. Artists,
0: excellent. And we're we're getting to the close of this conversation. I'd love to speak with you again in the future when you have your next project going. It's it's great talking with you guys. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, let's you get. I, I look at you folks. I keep saying guys. Sorry, that's just a, a term I use usually. I look at you folks as artists, as historians uh, for sure. And you know, in the last couple of minutes of our conversation. Um, Share some reflections maybe with the listeners as to where you're at, what you've learned. Uh, you know, you could take it wherever you like. I mean, as, as we kind of alluded to, it's a strange time at this moment. We're here in the United States and, and globally. Uh, you, guys, you, you folks are, are in the thick of things, in my view. You're trying to figure yourselves out, I suppose, if you're anything like me. And you're trying to understand what has happened before you and where we 're going, uh, so I don't know reflect
3: well, when we first got into this, it was because of obsession and uh the obsession of of reading and um getting excited about this art world that has this bohemia that's long gone. And I I don't think either one of us ever would have thought well we we're art historians but that that happened um, over over all these years of um, meeting so many of these of these artists who the, really their main requisite was that we get it right and that we be authentic um, th- they're a generation that is concerned about this thing called selling out which people sort of don't even know what that means anymore. I mean, what is selling out? I mean, you've got, you know, major actors doing commercials nonstop. Uh, you you know, uh, kids on Instagram um, would do anything for any product at any moment. And um, so this was a time when these people looked at that, you know, from a punk rock point of view and said, well, I'm never going to be like that. And so when they got successful, they even sort of got embarrassed about it, you know. And, and to us, this dimension, all these dimensions um, of a person, uh, of, 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 an, of an artist like that, that's all fascinating to us. And we, we think that we can bring uh, this kind of um, the, the way that we investigated into all of the rest of our work. And, and uh, we look forward to being surprised about what it does to us in the future, too.
2: Yeah, you know, as an actor, I'm not a visual artist, but I, I do know that this idea of making it is something that all artists, it's universal. You know, you try, you try everything you can, you put your heart and soul into it. And in a lot of times, it, it's a struggle for people. And I was on Broadway for 13 years in a long running show, Wicked. And there were so many people that were trying to get into my slot. They were trying auditioning over and over, just like I did to start, you know, and and this idea of who gets to make it and who doesn't, doesn't always have to do with talent. There's this special sauce that happens with artists and performers and architects and you name it in every industry that has anything to do with the arts. And I just thought that was such a fascinating thing to to delve into in the film is is what what does it mean to make it? And, and this artist, maybe maybe he didn't make it in his lifetime. Maybe you as an artist, you don't make it in your lifetime. But we think that if you see the film Make Me Famous, you'll understand that there are other ways to make it. You might make a difference in someone's life. You might not be the richest, most well-known artist, but there are pathways to make a difference as an artist. And I just think that's an important thing to note because artists, you know, they give it all. And, and, and we just think that a life devoted to art is always worth exploring.
0: Beautiful. Beautifully said. I love you too. Heather and Brian, Heather Spore, Brian, Vincent, thank you so much for being on Troubadours and Rock On Tours and talking with us. And uh, good luck with everything. Break a leg, and, uh, and, and we'll be talking with you again, I'm sure, in
3: the future. Thank you so much, Lawrence. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao.
0: down in open buildings, Hell's Bowery, Shantytown on the Hudson, Max's Kansas City, the Danceteria, CBGB, the Foxy, Roxy, Basquiat, McDermott, McGough, Keith Haring, Madonna, Richard Hamilton, and Schnabel, all creative and able to set a mark create fantasy and fables, myths of reality, eternally circulating in the wind and the water table, respect, love, tears of soul for who we did not know. And on with the show. Episode 537 of Troubadours and Tours, With yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible First and foremost, Heather Spore, Brian Vincent And these musical artists The Monk The Velvet Underground, featuring Nico, The Stowaways, Jude Schuma, Terrence Blanchard, and Brantford Marsalis, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself.